We have a Thursday edition of The Snack coming up in a few minutes. Before we get to The Snack, we had a conversation, or I think we've had this conversation a couple times in the last few weeks about how much interest maybe the Thunder have taken away from college hoops in this state. And clearly, it's part of the equation, right, for maybe the lack of enthusiasm for both OU and OSU basketball. Yep. We've also talked about how, you know, I think whatever the sport is, winning cures all, right? You start winning at a high level, and we've seen this, you know, with some of the fringe sports. Um, or not, I, fringe is not the right word. The, uh, the non-mainstream sports, if you will, right? Like OU Gymnastics and how many people follow that when, you know, they're, they're on the verge of, of winning national titles, for example. Mm-hmm. So winning is is a big part of the equation as well. I I was looking at all of the current Big 12 coaches and what their conference records are for as long as they've been in their current job, right? Because we do have some schools that are new to the conference. But if you take out Grant McCaslin, who's in his first year at Tech, and you take out, is it is it Josh Eilert? Elert. I don't know the pronunciation of the West Virginia coach. Oh yeah, the West Virginia also guy. in his first year. Yes. Those two haven't even completed a full season, so so removing them from the equation. Twelve coaches in the Big Twelve that have at least completed one full season in their current job. Surprise, surprise, Bill Self has the best conference record. <laughs> He's winning at a clip over twenty one years. At 79% of the time. Goodness. The bottom two. Is that any good, by the way? Winning 79% of your games? It'll play. It's yeah, not bad. So. Kelvin Sampson is next, by the way. 10 years at Houston, 73% winning percentage in conference. What's Scott Drew's winning percentage now? Because he's been there 21 years. This 21 is... years for Scott Drew. His winning percentage is at 52%. 52 but and I when if... I was—I I don't have the numbers, but when I was looking at his his yearly records, I mean, the, those first few years were oh like my one gosh, win, yeah. two the wins, Dave Bliss era, win, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's I mean, it's he almost took over unfair. One of the biggest disasters in in the country. But yeah, I mean, he's at he's at fifty two percent, even with that stretch of I don't know what it was. Well, five that's or six why I was curious, and I as there's a bottom a, dweller. There's a part of me that's like, yeah, he got it above fifty, knowing how yeah. depleted yeah. that that was for years, and they gave him time to do that. Well, whoever they, took that job had to have time, right? Because it was, it was basically, I mean, that that was basically like the death sentence. Baylor, I think, sometimes looked at him like. He's the only crazy bastard that would actually do this. <laughs> That's right. They might not have had another option. So the bottom two in terms of winning percentage in conference play at their current jobs, Mike Boynton and Porter Moser. Okay. Mike Boynton in seven years has won 41% Eesh. of his conference games. Porter Moser in three years has won 36% mm. of his conference games. So double-edged sword, right? The Thunder have certainly taken interest away, but when you're not winning, of course, you're not helping yourself out. Well, we had a uh, someone hit us up off of the 
uh, Neuropathy Treatment Clinic of Oklahoma text line that said, so how do the Iowa states of the world have money to fund these sports? You know, what? just speaking completely out of turn without having a true understanding of everything that's happened at Iowa State is that they have just from what I know that they've got more buy-in on the NIL front than what Oklahoma State has. And it's not just Iowa State. It's it's West Virginia that's got more buy-in on the NIL front than what Oklahoma State well, has it, so far. Well, it goes far. back to the same question about why, why was Oklahoma State the second-worst recruiting budget in all of Power 5 football, right? Like, wh- why? I mean... Same thing here. Like, I, who knows what the answer is for Iowa State, but Oklahoma State has been at the bottom in a lot of different areas in terms of financial resources. Yeah, and I, like I said, I would have to do far more individualized research on what specifically that Iowa State is doing, but uh, from from what I understand without putting a ton of research in it, they're the rate that they've had for people jumping on board with this has uh, has funded them at a level that is at least higher than Oklahoma State. I don't know where they are in terms of ranking in the conference or anything else, but, um, you know, they've had, like, the Iowa pork producers jump in with, with NIL. They've They've done a lot of pretty uh, lucrative things to uh, get their NIL up and going. Probably had a couple of players hit it big at the casino and (laughs) contribute as well. I knew that was coming. Maybe they were. Maybe those players were laundering their money through the athletic department. I mean, I'm looking at Iowa State right now, and I'm I'll, just by putting in Iowa NIL on Google, I found already four different versions of NIL and also the collectives that they have. Like with Oklahoma State, you basically hear like pokes for a purpose, right? That's kind right. of one of the only ones that we hear about. And I'm not saying that you have multiple because I think what a lot of schools found out in the early stages where we don't need multiple, we just need ones that are run properly that have people that know what they're doing to put significant amount of time and also be able to generate the amount of resources. So it's not even the multiple front. Why you've had some of them merge. Well, and it's also, I mean, look at what SMU did to get to the ACC, right? They, they, they They don't have maybe the numbers yeah. Uh, in terms of of people contributing, but but you only need a couple that have deep pockets, right? And for those that don't know where you're talking about, the story was is that when SNU was trying to get into the ACC, one of their border regions called in the 15 biggest donors that they have. Now, of the 15 people that they had in the room, that was a net worth of 12 billion dollars. So we're we're on a different level of donorship right now, right? right. That is, that's their version of T Boons that they had. But, but the point of that is you can't necessarily judge a school based no, on how can't. big it is or how good their athletic department is. And you it just takes judge a, what their NIL or financial backing is by by some of the obvious metrics. And it just takes one guy, right? 
That's right. One guy. And the Look same thing happened for, throw a shoe, right? for SMU. It was one guy when he said, all right, so if we give up conference revenue for X amount of time, how much money you're talking that we need to get us by? I'm making a long-term investment here. And so, well, we'd need like 200 plus million dollars. He goes, you know what? I can swing that. <laughs> one guy. And off to the races we go. Plus, on top of that, I mean, they've had enough donations from that school alone that gives every player that signed $35,000. Remember that story? That's right. Texas Tech did the same thing. They have the $35,000 commitment. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a good question, but it's, you can't, it's hard to answer something like that. Exactly. Because it's so individualized you're going to get a variety of different answers from different programs all across the country on how they actually make it work, or if they right. don't. Right. But Boynton and Moser have the lowest conference-winning percentage at their current jobs of all the Big 12 coaches. There's only two others that are under 50%. One of them is Wes Miller at Cincy, 47% in three years. And the other is Jamie Dixon at 43% at TCU, which is another one of those, I mean, took over what was the laughing stock of the basketball league how at long TCU is, when, he, when he got the job. Right? How long has he been there now? You're, this is your eight. Gosh. TCU was essentially yeah. the bye week. Lee Nalen wasn't walking through first. that door. That's right. <laughs> I'm by the way, I've tapped out of former TCU basketball players after Lee Nalen. Kurt Thomas? Kurt Thomas, there you go. That's a good one. Okay, now I'm out. <laughs> Scott, you got one? At all? Not off the top of my head, no. <laughs> uh. Wow. By the way, uh how about Avery Anderson doesn't count, by the way. <laughs> How about, let's see. Oh, I lost it. I yeah, mean, never mind. Jamie Dixon might be considered to be because he played there, right? Did he play there? I think that he did. I know there was some kind of connection. Yeah, he played I, there. He played okay. there 84 to 87, so he might okay. be the go. third most famous TCU Horn Frog. <laughs> so it's Kurt Thomas, Lee Nalen, and Jamie Dixon. Yeah, in that order. Fair enough. All right, let's take a time out. We have a Thursday edition of The Snack next on the Blitz 1170 and streaming on the Blitz 1170 app.